0: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. As we plow through this final month of the year, December, heading towards the new year, this is your host, Daniel Harwitz back here. And we got some amazing news to announce, by the way. There is a lot going on here. I don't know how I'm going to fit everything in, but it's late Wednesday night, and you'll probably hear this first on Thursday or Friday. But uh, first off... Just some housekeeping notes. At CRTV, CR, we've forged a deal with Westwood One to promote our content, all our audio content, the podcast, my podcast, Steve Davis's show, as well as Dan Bongino's show. And that means they'll be promoting them on radio, their enormous digital platform. So, you know, we really look forward to welcoming thousands of new listeners and, and really – Expanding this platform of speech, speaking the truth in long form, deep and wide, um, certainly is a conservative conscience. But really, ideas that that almost everyone in this country should be able to appreciate—basic common sense about our political system, common sense reforms, the news that's really important. And perspectives that I guarantee you, you will not hear elsewhere, even in the conservative media, much of which, as you well know, I believe is kind of bankrupt. With that said, wanted to start off, before we get to our main topic here, about the complete bastardization of property rights that ties into both taxation and the whole conscience, religious liberty issue – With the masterpiece cake Supreme Court case and how the Supreme Court is not helping us like some people think they are hurting us. The courts are hurting us. But I want to start off with some good news. The biggest criticism I always get is, Daniel, I want to hear good news. I want to hear good news. There's a lot of good news this week. I mean, Donald Trump is probably at the peak of his presidency in terms of fulfillment of promises and actually doing good stuff. And I honestly think that we've reached a point that even though Trump's not a conservative, but because he does have a certain knack for common sense that's lacking among even many conservatives, and because of his personality that if you attack him rather than being submissive, he won't back down, well, Democrats Are attacking him for everything they perceive he might do. So, ironically, it's working out to our favor that he actually goes and does them. You know, rather than the typical past behavior from GOP presidents, GOP congressional leaders, they back down. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not a bigot. I'm not a racist. No, I'm not doing scary things. He'll go ahead and do it. Uh, You know, for a while, it looked like he wanted to work with Democrats, but there's, you know, frankly, the reality is there's nobody to work with. And I think he recognizes that his only home is with conservatives. So maybe he originally wasn't a conservative, but this dynamic is making him a de facto conservative on many, many issues. So, you know, look, we're going to continue criticizing where he screws us. We're going to continue encouraging him to get better where his instincts are good, but his personnel is bad. And we'll certainly praise when he actually has a good policy outcome. And what he did with Jerusalem, there is no way to talk that down. That is a very big deal. Um, I have an article coming out, and we'll ho- hopefully be able to get up and show notes by the time we get this out, that this is really a 95-year promise from President Warren Harding. Congress in 1922 recognized not just Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria, the entire land west of the Jordan River, known as Palestine, as a Jewish land, and that Jews would govern it and that even the local Arabs there would have to respect them as long as the Jews would respect their religious and civil rights, which they certainly have always upheld their side of the bargain. The Arabs have not upheld theirs. And you know what's happened, what is so important is not just, oh, he fulfilled a promise, he's recognizing Jerusalem as a capital. And he plans to move the embassy. Now, I will just note a caveat that the embassy has not yet moved, and he did sign the waiver. But from what I'm hearing and seeing, my understanding, and we have to hold him to account, is that he really does want to move it. It's not like the DACA thing where he's kind of unfortunately mixed up on that on a personal level. He personally is very clear on this issue, but the State Department is screwing with him because even Till- Tillerson and Mattis opposed even just the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital much less moving the embassy so again Trump needs to do two things He needs to pay attention to detail and he needs to fire bad personnel and hire people that share his views and I think if he were to do those two things he could be a very good president across the board but you know aside from the move that he made the the policy decision it's the rationale behind it that I really respect and In many respects, Trump is echoing my motto here at the Conservative Conscience. I loved how he said, he prefaced the speech by saying, we cannot solve our problems by making the same failed assumptions and repeating the same failed strategies of the past. All challenges demand new approaches. Gosh, how many times have I told you that, that that's what drives me on tax policy, on healthcare, immigration, foreign policy, Military interventions, all sorts of things, not just the typical trite Republican or even conservative talking points, but really looking at systemic reforms and challenging the basic assumptions and premises of the political class. I'm very proud of him for making that statement. And, you know, the, the two-state solution and, ooh, you can recognize Jerusalem, the Arab street will riot, we're terrified. It's that crappy mentality that has prevented even, you know, Republican presidents from pursuing the truth. And what I'm particularly proud of is the fact that it's this point in particular that, oh, the Arabs will reject you that Trump is rejecting. no. Because Trump is showing that when you break through the paradigm, until you break through it, it looks insurmountable, that this is the paradigm. But if you actually go ahead and break it, people will follow. And you're seeing now um, the Filipino government as well as some Eastern European countries are now saying they might move their embassies to Jerusalem as well. That is leadership, folks. Again, we have to watch out because the personnel is terrible. The State Department is terrible. Tillerson and McMaster and Mattis are terrible Um, it's a problem, and we need to hold his hand and encourage him and and encourage him to fire these clowns. But, you know, I got to take yes for an answer, and this is great, great news. So, you know, again, I mean, I I think we're in a very good position, and we got to strike while the iron's hot. Number two, I have to announce that my friend Chip Rory Widely known for his tenure as Ted Cruz's first chief of staff, he's now the head of the 10th Amendment Center at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He is running for Congress for the seat vacated by Lamar Smith in Texas's 21st district, anchored mainly in, in the city of San Antonio. I will tell you, you know, you know my view on endorsements. I've, I'm kind of jaded over it, and I'm almost at the point where I want to get out of that business of endorsing. This will certainly be an, an, an exception. I cannot think of a better human being to run than Chip Roy. I'm, I'm I'm not exaggerating. It's not just that he's one of us, literally fighting in the trenches every day, fighting you know to be righteous and blowing up you know socialized health care and pushing for federalism in a real systemic way, not just the you know platitude of oh I'm for straight power. Um, it's that. In addition to the steel spine that this man, the minute he gets up there, he's only running with the intent to to completely not just upend the way everyone does business, but even the Freedom Caucus, which is, you know, I hate to say kind of lackluster in many ways. You know, they're better than nothing. Um, He recognizes what's missing there. I could just tell you that. But he also has an intellect, a master's command of the issues And fully understands, obviously, the legislative process and the games. There is a reason why Ted Cruz is pretty much the first person this generation who came to power and the minute he stepped in there just upended the system and fought for us on almost every issue. It's because Chip Roy was his chief of staff. Chip was standing there every minute pushing him into the fight more and more. So that's the type of guy he's going to be. You know, Since Chip left – Ted has kind of lost a little bit of that muster. Um, again, you know, a lot of, if some people say, Daniel, you should run for office, I'm telling you, you're going to have it better than a guy like Chip. And um, you know, I just want to share with you, and some of you who subscribe to CRTV, all of you should subscribe to CRTV, um, but certainly those of you who already have it and watch Steve Dace's program, much wa- must watch every day, by the way. If you saw me on his show yesterday, we both... You know, said over our personal anecdotes with him, how, you know, he called us and said, hey, what do you think about me running for Congress? And I said, look, you know, as a political guy, I'd love for you to run. Why not? As a you know piece of chess on the board, of course, you're, you're a great conservative. But as a friend, I got to tell you no. I wouldn't wish that on any friend. They're going to tear you down if they see you're about to win. They're going to dig up all sorts of lies on you. They're going to just destroy your life. The house is a miserable place to be. You don't have much of a platform there. And he said something very important. He said to me, Daniel, you know, it's very easy to have conservative writers, talkers, think tank people, policy people, people cheerleading in the bleachers. But it is so hard to find people to get them on the field to actually run for office. Again, that has the backbone, has the intellect, has the ability, some connections to raise money is very difficult. It's almost impossible. Someone who is completely gonna be severed from the cartel. Very, very difficult. And you know, who are we gonna do? And and, and look, you know, part of why I don't do it, everyone says why don't you well, I'm from Maryland's third congressional district. There's no way you could win there. Number two, I'm too short you can never win at my height <laughs> that's just the reality uh so you know the best i could do is champion those that are willing to do it and you know chiproy.com the website is already up chiproy.com you know what to do um th- this is this is it this is a guy yes i understand he is running officially as a republican just because I, I guess he feels at this point because he doesn't really have much name recognition inside the district. It's hard to win as an independent or a Federalist party or whatever. but you know hopefully that will take off in in the future but this is a man committed to breaking the two-party paradigm. I could tell you that much. So I hope to have him on the show as well. Next thing is my tax piece, the simplest most, fairest, flattest tax you could imagine, the most systemic way of not just fixing taxes, but fixing our entire backwards pyramid of governance and returning to federalism, the neutral tax. Um, neutraltax.com, it's a website, a, a friend of mine, a newly found friend that we've become instantaneously friends, Tom Ryan is the author of this plan. I will have him on the show, God willing, next week as well. Um, I have a 2000 word essay. I'm sorry it's so long, but I just want to introduce why I believe this is, you know, rather than trying to pursue 10 issues that are 1% solution, this is one systemic solution that will solve 60-70% of our fiscal liberty problems. Um the neutral tax devolving all taxation to the states and just having the federal feds come and take a flat rate out of the gross state revenue once they determine everything so that it will be the 50 states laboratories of democracy much easier way to deal with the polarization and and it's going to be a good segue into our discussion the fact that we have you know such a large percentage of people in this country that are lost and don't understand basic property rights but all the questions about the progressivity what form of taxation, what source of taxation, whether and how many and what type of deductions and credits have that out all on a state level but still have a guaranteed revenue stream for the feds? This is more achievable than a flat tax or fair tax for a number of reasons politically. It is better than it, and it it's not necessarily in contradiction to it. It's just a recognition that we will never enact that on a federal level. It's just not going to happen. Um, There's just – we just can't. We can't even have one degree less progressive, one degree flattening deductions. You're seeing the outrage and everything. It just – it doesn't work. The current debate over tax policy demonstrates that, which is why this is such a brilliant plan. And then in some conservative states, hopefully we will have either a flat or fair tax, as we actually do in – to a certain degree in some states already, so why not just have them be responsible for 100% of the revenue instead of just 40% you know, combined state and federal? So I'll be getting into the details there more when we have Tom Ryan on the show, but with that, I want to segue into a mixture of the discussion between two big topics this week, taxation, property rights, religious liberty, conscience rights – the whole issue of coerce, coercing individuals to service with their private property, gay weddings, and the courts, and how that ties in together. The, the, the way I thought of this juxtaposition was actually from Andrew Wilkow. He invited me on earlier this week to discuss. He said, I want to talk with you about the tax plan and you know the masterpiece cake shop case at the Supreme Court. You know, it sounds like two disparate issues. And when I got on, he juxtaposed them in a brilliant way. And what we came out with with our discussion is that the problems we're seeing in both cases is that self evident truths of property rights. That the world is created by God and God gives us certain rights. That the starting point is that you have property rights. That you have the right to retain the fruits of your labor. That you have the right when you don't hurt someone else, affect someone else, harm someone else's interests with your own property to pursue happiness and earn a living Not to be subsidized by government, not to ask for anything, but not to be stomped upon and regulated and overtaxed and confiscated and certainly not to be forced to violate your property, your your conscience rights with your property. And conscience is the most sacred of all property rights. So it's the same people who literally think that a tax cut is a subsidy and a subsidy is a tax cut. That you have a right to Medicaid, that you have a right to confiscate someone else's wealth, to pay for Medicaid, to pay for subsidies, but you don't have a right to a simple tax cut when you're already paying a tax burden over and beyond your income level, your share of the income pie. When the top 1% earn 20% of the AGI and pay 40% of the taxes, we give them a slight tax cut. That's theft in their eyes. From the poor. How do we have a body politic that thinks that way? And the answer is the same body politic that thinks that I have the right to electively walk into your shop, your business, and demand that you service me in any way that violates your conscience. But you have no right to merely mind your own business with a negative right. Inaction to merely, I don't want anything, I just want to be left alone. Yet I have a positive right, so to speak, to infringe upon your negative negative, unalienable right. I have a BS concocted legal positivism driven right to quash your most foundational of foundational rights. The most inalienable of inalienable rights, property, conscience, and religious liberty mixed up all in one. It's the same thing because we recognize that you don't own your own property. Government is the antecedent, not God and property rights. It's government. So if the ethos of government are that property only works, you only have the right if you're being subsidized. Subsidized property is a property right. But property obtained through the fruits of your labor is not a property right. Likewise, if the homosexual agenda is a national religion, as it has become, as I note in my article this week, it violates the Establishment Clause in every sense of the word because it is coercing people with their own property to service its ethos. But anyway... Those individuals have the right to come in and demand from you involuntary servitude for whatever they want you to do. And that's the thing. This Masterpiece Cakes court case is all about property rights. A lot of people are making this about religious liberty – or freedom of speech slash expression. Those are valid. That is true. It is protected by those sections of the of the First Amendment. That is absolutely correct. Certainly will never disagree with that. But I fear that the lawyers for the plaintiff and conservatives making the arguments, limiting it to that, are missing the point. And it's going to lead to a terrible outcome even if we so-called win this case at the Supreme Court. And we would have ceded 90% of the premise of the most unalienable right that we cannot afford to lose. We cannot afford to gamble it away in Anthony Kennedy's casino. We must assert a plenary categorical individual sovereignty over one's own business mixed with their conscience. As one giant property right, as Madison said, conscience is a sacred – is the most sacred form of property, and also it's literally with your property, with your handiwork, your business, your farm, whether it's forcing you to lend out your farm to a lesbian wedding as happened with the Gifford Family Farm in upstate New York or the Klein Bakery Shop or Jack Phillips's place in in Colorado who's the um, plaintiff in this case. I fear we are seeding the point. We are elevating the courts as the savior when in fact they are the problem here. And even if they wind up being slightly to the right of the state of Colorado and give us relief in this case, if we don't make the right argument and we don't pursue the right avenue of having Congress get involved and have civil rights-style legislation, I fear we are going to lose this. The same way we have stolen sovereignty – on a federal level, we're losing the immigration issue to the courts. We're going to lose the ultimate individual sovereignty, the mix of conscience and property. And that is that is something we cannot afford to lose. And by the way, if you haven't gotten my book, I know we have a lot of new listeners, please get my book at Amazon. Stolen Sovereignty, How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. Stolen Sovereignty is kind of a double entendre. It's st- stealing of of national sovereignty through immigration and stealing of individual sovereignty most embodied through religious liberty, conscience, and property rights all by the hands of the courts. So with that preface, let me unpack what's going on with the court case, why we will never win in the courts, why we're going to lose no matter what, and what we have to do about it. But again, we have to recognize self-evident truths. The truth here, folks, is that cultural Marxism is built off of economic Marxism. When you don't understand property rights and don't believe in them, that is how you begin to deracinate any lineage, any legacy, ownership, inheritance. Everything comes from the state, and once everything comes from the state – then they can control your values as well. And that's how they could force you to use your property against your conscience. And really, the problem of a lack of property rights stems from stolen sovereignty. That we have a legal profession that mixes up federal, state, and individual sovereignty, each in their own proper respective spheres. They mix them up and flip them on their head. What's an individual right? They give to the state. What's antithetical to an uh, an individual right, they create as one. What's a federal power they give to the state? What's a state power power they give to the feds? So what we basically have with the Masterpiece Cake Shop case is where a blue state government is violating the Constitution, Bill of Rights, and Declaration of Independence and – This is a case where we're going on judicial offense. So it's our side that's using the courts to try to grant relief. And I will just say for a moment that this is actually a legitimate exercising of the judicial power because this is a legitimate right at stake for an individual plaintiff and saying, look, you know, the state is fining me, punishing me, maybe threatening prison time if I don't violate my conscience with my property. So you know that is a legitimate use of it. I am just warning people that don't, you know, cry to Anthony Kennedy to save you because he's the one who created the problem with the Obergefell decision by elevating homosexuality and all all of its offshoots to something much greater than even the real rights. And, you know, so now we're saying, "Oh, well maybe it sounds like he was good during oral arguments," which by the way is nonsense because he sounded good during Obergefell and many other cases on high-profile cases where he ruled against us. So you can't read too much into that. Um, But anyway, the, the problems we're having with conscience, religious liberty, and property rights in this country are in two different cases. One is where we have blue states that are violating those rights on the state level, executive or legislature, and then our side is appealing to the courts to help us, and all the lower courts have been siding with the state. And this finally went to the Supreme Court, and you know we'll see what happens. And then there are the cases where you have red states that are trying to do the opposite and protect liberty, and the courts are saying, oh, that's unconstitutional. The courts are mandating it. So the courts, generally speaking, are part of the problem here. Um, my concern is the way – The Alliance Defending Freedom was defending this case. It's going to cause us problems. Now, just to be clear, I am not bashing them. They're good folks. They want to get a victory for their client, which is not just for their client. It will be somewhat of a policy victory. Um, And they feel that this is the best way to get to Anthony Kennedy's heart. And I understand it. But at the same time, from my vantage point as a public advocate for public policy for all of us, I have to say that, wait a minute, this – ultimately, you can't rely on this, and you need Congress to step in. And, and this is what I advocate for in my book, civil rights-style legislation, not just at a federal level, but, but getting involved with the states and preventing any state from coercing any individual business owner to – service an act or an event that violates his political or or religious beliefs. Period. Done. End of story. To be very clear, you guys know I'm a big advocate of federalism. That's my whole plan on taxes and healthcare and all all sorts of stuff. But federalism doesn't mean states have full power. Federalism means respecting the proper boundaries between individual sovereignty State sovereignty and federal sovereignty, and that there is a respect, proper right for both, and that when the state oversteps its boundaries, now, generally speaking, a lot more things need to go back to the states. But it doesn't mean everything, not immigration. You know, They can't just have open borders if they want. They can't control military policy, and they cannot violate unalienable rights, property rights, or the Second Amendment. But certainly conscience and the right to pursuit of happiness – and property rights. They cannot violate that. Um, you know, if we're going to have the federal government step in and and crush the states with your districting maps and and election laws because of past sins of Jim Crow that don't apply anymore, then by golly, then we are going to have the feds come in when there is a real right at stake. There's a real problem here. And, you know, if a state would come in and say, no person could own more than three acres of property would you tell me, oh, Daniel, it's a state issue, stay out of it? No. Um, this is a legitimate place. The feds need to get involved. Why can we not rely on the courts? Um, this is why we can't rely on the courts. So, first of all, I'm not convinced, like many of the legal commentators are, that Anthony Kennedy somehow was convinced and is going to rule with Jack Phillips. I'm, I'm just not convinced. There are many other times that he sounded really good and then he screwed us. So, you know, again, we shouldn't place our most unalienable rights in that casino of Anthony Kennedy. But moreover, what does a victory look like here? A victory in this case is a classic conservative victory at, at, at the court it's when you take an issue that should never even be in court it should never be subject to the court it should never be subject to the whims it is black and white similar to Heller oh we won Heller look great Um, it's the most unalienable right as well that's self-defense it ranks up there among the top rights as Sam Adams says the right to life, liberty, property and the right to defend them right I, I, I hate even saying the second amendment because it's it's more foundational than that. It's the right to self-defense that our founders, including originally Madison, believed that we didn't even need a Bill of Rights, and a Bill of Rights implied that it comes from government or that it's limited. Um, no, it's it's more foundational than that. So those are the rights that we have. They, 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 they shouldn't be – we shouldn't have to cede them. It's not like a policy disagreement that you compromise. There's nothing to compromise on self-defense property, conscience, and religious liberty. You cannot compromise on that. There's nothing left. But nonetheless, that's what we had with guns. Oh, finally, there's some sort of right to own some sort of gun in some capacity in your home. But then the states and the lower courts went and just chipped away at it. Similar thing is going to happen here. Anthony Kennedy is going to write a very narrow, assuming he's with us, is going to write a very narrow opinion just based on the contours of how the lawyers presented it, that it is self-expression, that I shouldn't be forced to prospectively go to work and build an artistic expression for something that violates my conscience. So in this case, I, I shouldn't have to make a professional cake. But as Sotomayor mentioned to the lawyer, during oral arguments, she said, okay, but then a florist who is just selling cut flowers where there's no artistic expression, so you should have to do it because there is no property rights. And pretty much everyone, even the lawyer, during our oral arguments kind of admitted that. We, we we sold out our property rights and our conscience rights. And that's what this is. There should, this is why we need a sweeping civil rights-style legislation from Congress very simply saying that no federal or state entity can force an individual to service an event or an idea or some sort of you know, expression in a way that violates his conscience. It's not religion – and whenever you have religion and gaze, everyone goes nuts. They lose their mind and you can't have a rational discussion. This is not about religion and gaze, and, and, and the truth is – this is going to occur more commonly, not so much with Christians and gays you know coming in and agitating, although that will continue to happen. It's really more with political things. The country is so polarized and divided, you're going to have situations where, you know, "Oh, you support Trump, so I don't want to service you or you don't, I don't want to And that's the question. Should a pro-Muslim brotherhood, let, let's take religion and gays out of this? Let's make it political. Should a pro-Muslim Brotherhood graphic artist be forced to type up pamphlets for a pro-Israel event? Should an anti-Trump guy be forced to be a vendor for some sort of pro-Trump event? And of course the answer is no. It has nothing to do with religion. Don't get me wrong. Religious liberty is its own category over and beyond everything that had an extra layer of protection, clearly, in the Constitution. But even without that, even if it's not a religious issue, you have the right to conscience. Period. Done. That is what you absolutely will not hear from Anthony Kennedy. And usually what Kennedy does in the few cases he's with us is he gives us a 10% victory, and the other 90, not not only does he implicitly throw it away, he usually explicitly calls on – the ACLU to come back and have lawsuits. He did this with the VRA. Remember, in the Shelby County case, oh, we struck down the section of pre-clearance of VRA. Really, it was one section and the rest of it. He invited them to come back with lawsuits. And indeed, since Shelby County, we've gone backwards worse than Heller with guns where they chopped away most of it here. They chopped all of it. and We went backwards. The VRA is being used to crush states from – it's being used to mandate 30 days of early voting and blocking photo ID requirements. That's what we're going to have at the court. There are no victories. And also, look, if we lose, that's it. It's Obergefell. Done, done, gone. No, No property. No questions. No one will even fight back. But even if we win, the states, the blue states, will just come back and the lower courts will uphold it. They're gonna Okay, so in this case, also the case of Jack Phillips is a little different because there was clear animus there. He was kind of set up. Um, and there's a lot of backstory to that with the you know the gay couple there. You know, so Kennedy was kind of, you know, addressing that. Well, yeah, here you really set the guy up. But in a regular case, let's say the guy has animus. Let's say the guy was like, He doesn't do it respectfully. I hate gays. I hate Trump. I hate Israel, whatever the event you're being asked to service. Let's say he does it with animus. So what? That's your right. Now, I know some of you are going to ask me, what about Title II and Title VII of the um, Civil Rights Act? Now, look, because I'm not a politician and I'm not scared to speak the truth, I'll tell you straight up. The, those sections of the Civil Rights Act are unconstitutional. Our founders would be appalled. They wouldn't recognize it because at the end of the day, you the property rights go as far as that. I mean, you have the right to be rude. You have the right to be hateful. You have the right to say, I'm not going to service you because you're black, because you're Catholic, because you have orange hair, whatever reason – that that is your right. Now they have the right to come back and say, all right, well, especially now with the internet and connectivity, we're gonna issue a boycott. You know, and that, that's the beauty of the marketplace. And everyone's gonna know that you're kind of a rude pig. Everyone's gonna know you're a racist. Now, that's legally. If you want to hear the truth about the Constitution, I have no way to say otherwise. Philosophically, I could justify the Civil Rights Act at the time because blacks were discriminated against to the point that their real unalienable property rights were taken away through the Buddha government. So you could make the case that government had to come in and maybe a little bit overcorrect because of the times. But clearly, that's not true anymore. And clearly, if we're going to accept the Civil Rights Act, we have to interpret it narrowly and only keep it to invidious discrimination against immutable characteristics. That's the key there. You know, immutable characteristics. But here, we're not talking about someone's characteristics, much less being immutable. It's certainly not immutable. It's a behavior like any other – I mean, in the same way, heterosexual licentiousness, that's certainly very natural. You're not going to tell me it's less natural than homosexuality, but it's not an immutable characteristic. Um, but the point is it's the action activity. No one. We're not talking about, oh, I'm not serving you because you're gay. I'm not serving you because you're this. It's I am not serving your gay event. I'm not serving your pro-Israel event. I'm not serving your pro-Trump event, your anti-Trump event, your whatever. So that that's what we're talking about here. Again, I do believe foundationally, even if it's animously uh, – invidiously directed with animus at the individual – again, you know, property rights are property rights. There's no exception to that. But if we're going to abide by that, let's limit it to where the Civil Rights Act actually applies. This is what we won't see from the courts, and that's the point. The courts are a one-way street. They created this problem with Obergefell. Now we're like, could you please give us three pennies back? And even if they give the three pennies back, in two years, they'll take it away because they can come back. Because remember, precedent is a one-way street. It's one direction. If they say you have no rights to conscience, it's gone forever. If they say, well, you have a little bit, it doesn't mean you have that little bit forever. Remember, two years before Obergefell in the Windsor case, Kennedy said – that states have full power over marriage. And then he said, I lied. Well, he didn't say he lied, but he lied. And it's the same thing with the travel ban. Everyone's like, oh, look, the Supreme Court slapped down the lower courts. No, they didn't. Guess what? The DOJ had to still grovel today in the Ninth Circuit in Seattle defending something that for 200 years the courts said they have no jurisdiction over, the Supreme Court, much less lower courts. National sovereignty. So we have to spend 11 months having a simple act of a president to defend the nation, locked down in lower courts, that the Supreme Court, first of all, they only lifted the injunction if you don't have a bona fide relationship, which is BS. That means anyone who was granted a visa, we have to let back in. That's not true. That's wrong. Now, to be fair, the Supreme Court didn't rule on the merits. But they still tipped their hand by not lifting the injunction on that. And even what they lifted the injunction on, they didn't rule against the courts, against the lower court. They didn't halt it. They just said, we're going to lift the injunction pending the outcome. But But the DOJ still needs to defend it. That's insane. People don't realize, I'm not trying to talk down somewhat good news Let let me ask you this. Let's say the ACLU takes us to court and says, okay, two members of each family need to get a sex change operation. We're going to mandate that to spawn diversity. Um, We need to confiscate half your property. And then in addition to that, we're going to draft one member of every household to serve for Antifa. I'm just saying those three things. So let's say all three go to court. The lower courts take them seriously. The adjudication drags out, and they entertain it. And finally, after a year, the Supreme Court slaps down one of them. The other one, it kind of remains back. I mean, is that a victory? There are certain things we shouldn't have to compromise with. So anyway, this is the point. Property rights are supreme. We need to understand the relationship between the individual, the state, the federal government each one has a proper role and it is the role of the federal government to defend the people when states are incapable such as with national sovereignty military you know things like that they're inherently incapable so that's that's what the federal government's there for they're unwilling or unable to protect your liberties the federal government has to step in and this is why by the way i was just speaking with a member of congress before i recorded this about um this this point, I have no problem with legislation straight up saying you have to be a shall-issue state. You could have your criteria of how you're going to issue it, but you cannot categorically deny right to carry. That is an unalienable right. I'm sorry. Now, look, if we lived in a society where we didn't believe in the incorporation doctrine, the 14th Amendment, and they weren't doing 100 other things to the states to clamp down on them when they have no right to do it – then, I, you know, I'm willing to cede that. But I'm sorry if this is a foundational law, found, a foundational natural law. We're not going to allow states to violate it, especially when these they you know the states have been reduced to rubble anyway. So anyway, don't trust the courts. The courts are the problem. Remember property rights. Remember the respective roles of the individual, the, the feds, and the state. We have a lot more – I have a lot to say on this gun legislation, very mixed, that they're packaging a good reciprocity bill with this expansion of NICs at a time when NICs is being used to gather data on people. Um, There's whistleblowers, what I hear within the VA, that are saying that veterans are being denied guns not just to carry but to own ammo, to own guns based on bogus stuff born out of the previous NICs expansion in 2008. This is a very big problem. Um, we're going to have more on foreign policy, my Jerusalem article, obviously. And and don't miss, hopefully, our next episode or the one after that where we delve into the neutral tax, what I call the freedom tax, the real tax solution that will reshape our federal government. Innovative ideas, full truth, 100 proof, 100% of the time. That's where you're going to get here at the Conservative Conscience. Make sure you sign up for CRTV. And remember, we are now partnering with Westwood One. We're taking this to the next level. Till next time, God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.